Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 54. As a business owner and a side hustler, you can build and grow your business by yourself. But at some point, you can only do so much. So hiring and managing people and having a solid team around you is crucial to taking your business to the next level. Now, John and I are going through this right now, and today we're going to give you some of our initial thoughts and struggles as we try to build out the teams around our own businesses. But before we get into it, we want to thank some new members that joined the MFP Patron Tribe this week. We had PC Makes, Kevin McCurdy, Brad Alfred from Project Build Stuff, Lakeside Woodworks, Scott Miller, and Dave Van Fleet, who is our second uh, business coaching patron. So we are super stoked to have Dave on board as well as everybody else. But we're excited to talk with Dave and learn about his business. If you want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, head on over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. John, what is up, my man? Not much, brother. Hammering on a few pieces uh, for the upcoming weeks. I got a desk build that's going to a uh, an old teammate client of mine, as well as an absurdly large Longhorn Feeders <laughs> yes. for another teammate. It seems like my only client builds at the moment are all for former teammates of mine, which is pretty cool. Um, and then I also got a nice little shop jig project um, that would have dropped right before this episode aired. Um, and I'm just trying to hammer things out before we, uh, before we head out to California at the end of the month here, I got to get everything in, in line, uh, so we can go kick it with the modern maker podcast guys, um, out in Joshua tree here come the end of July. Yeah, I, I, I am equally parts excited and scared. I've been seeing like, we're still three weeks away. And I see them like, uh, it's like 115 out here. Like I, <laughs> it is, <laughs> we picked the absolute 100% horse time to go to Joshua Tree. But uh, <laughs> that's what every, everyone I know has said. They're like, oh, you're yeah, going to Joshua like, Tree when? I'm like, hey, you know, uh, in end of July. July. They're like, you're going to die. I was like, well, you, yeah, <laughs> hopefully I, I lose a couple LBs while I'm out there. Yeah, you could physically die. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I am stoked for that, though. Uh, excited to get out there and hang with, uh, with Ben and Mike. And, and hopefully we can get uh, Chris out there, too, for at least something. Uh, I know he's not too far away. Uh, but yeah, I just launched off uh, my drill press stand, which is another in the long line of shop projects. And uh, I am slowly converting my entire shop into uh, Baltic birch. And so I love having all of my stuff look the same. So it is quite nice because uh, <laughs> uniformity is amazing. Yes. Uh, yes, I, I am not creative. I like all straight lines and Baltic birch. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be getting into some more smart home stuff here doing uh, I'm going to be installing one of those uh, ring doorbells Ooh. so you can like see the people at the door and then a, a camera with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. And uh, as well as uh, the security camera. And then from there, I'm going to be going on and also I'm going to be doing a desk. So rocking the desks out, man. And I'm going to uh, be doing some welding. This will actually be my first welding job at the house. So I'm, I'm getting all geared up for that. I got my argon and CO2. I've got all my wheels and my magnets. And I'm sure I do not have some things that I need. And I'll be calling you and being like, uh, dude, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm pumped to see you getting into some welding on your own. I know we took that um, the class out at the maker event in, um, <clears throat> in Cleveland this spring. And, uh, and that was a blast. It'll be It'll be fun to see yourself get into welding because, I mean, you are um, in a very limited space. And I think a lot of people are intimidated by it because they think you need like a full, you know, fab shop in order to weld. Um, so right. I'm stoked to see what you come up with there because you definitely do not have a full fab shop. No, um, no, just I might, might have to move the inflatable rafts you guys use for the pool in the front of the garage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll just <laughs> pop them with slag. It'll be like, <laughs> Love it, dude. Well, hey, today, uh, I think this was good timing because we've had this on the list for a while. And then uh, based on some recent things that have been happening with with our own businesses and 
people we've been hiring is to talk about hiring people. And, and it's a question we get in the after show that we've talked about uh, at least a couple times. Uh, when's the right time to hire people? How do you do it? Uh, what do you look for? What are the things you need to hire out? So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, I think what we should do is is maybe just start about like, you know, what are the, when should you hire out and kind of the differences? Because when you talk about hiring people and building a team, um, you know, there's, there's a couple different ways. There's kind of like support roles, uh, hands-on roles, and then, you know, maybe like a back office role type thing. So why don't we jump into that, John, and, and kind of go through like, who are the first, because I know you, you're ahead of this curve than further than I am. And you have an accountant, and a banker and you know, a CPA, uh, if those are probably the same people, an accountant and a CPA, but whatever, a lawyer. Like, once you hit that on your side and talk about some of the things like when you're building a business and who you brought on board with you to, to get started. So the thing with me is that like I am I'm very comfortable in learning a new hobby or something new, right? And and like I always want to feel informed. I want to feel like I'm an expert at what I'm doing. I want to have a firm grasp on anything going on in my life. So, you know, like I'm, I, I get, I get a lot of fleck from my friends because they'll say, you know, it, you're all, you're all, whatever I'm doing, I go all in on it. Right. So, um, when I first started my own business, I knew that there was going to be aspects of it that needed addressed immediately, like, you know, legal, like an accountant, like, um, you know, people that are, that surround typical businesses or that entire departments are dedicated to, so in that, you know, I jumped all in on QuickBooks um, and started learning immediately. When it came to tax filing, um, I realized I didn't know anywhere close to what I needed to know and that having a business degree didn't mean anything um, when it came to uh, that part of my business. So that was kind of like my first taste of understanding, well, my time is probably more valuable in other aspects of the business than trying to make sure my books are balanced, trying to make sure I categorize everything properly. And I still do do that. But um, the learning curve of the three years it took me to get a good system down was dumb. Um, so with that, you know, my my I'm fortunate my best friend's family has been in um, CPA firm for 35 years or something crazy. Um, so, you know, I was able to sit down with them, get everything set up and rocking and rolling and was able to hire them to file for me. Now, they were my accountants when I was playing in the NFL. And one unique aspect of the NFL is that you have to file in every state you play a game. Oh, in. Yeah, so yeah. I was getting 1099s from all over the place. Um, and it was just way easier for them to manage that for me. When it came to the business side of things, you know, they suggested, hey, try out QuickBooks online. Uh, give it a test run. You have basic accounting knowledge from school. See what goes. A month later, I was sitting in their office and we were hours of going through all the mistakes that I made. So hiring them to manage all that stuff for me was a no brainer. Um, and now hiring a CPA firm, it's typically going to be something that's more expensive. And this was the next learning aspect of time value. It was like, you know, uh, the thousand dollars or whatever it's going to cost for this instance. Is it more worth it for me to pay them to manage this and take it off of my plate or for me to do it and save the money. And this is the conundrum that we all face is the saving money or saving time. Um, right. And it's the, it's one of the hardest parts. Um, so for me, I realized how much I disliked it, how much time it was taking up uh, for me doing other things in my business. And I just, you know, this was the first thing I went and said, screw it. I'm outsourcing this. I don't want to deal with it. Um, I'll jump into my books once a month get everything balanced as far as purchases go, and then let them handle all of the rest. Um, and what this ended up doing was freeing up a lot of mental space for me. Um, because if you are not on top of your accounting or something like that that's in the back end, um, it can become you know, a, a new learning cycle every time you get into it. And yeah, it, unless yeah. you have the software down pat, especially with something like QuickBooks, you know, you're, you don't go and work through it quickly. You, you learn it once. Yes. And it's not, but it's not like a bicycle where you just hop back in. There's a lot of little aspects that you need to, um, dive into each and every time you use it. So evaluating that whole aspect of the business, just, you know, accounting and bookkeeping, for instance, I, I realized, um, how valuable it is on the outset on like reporting, um, invoicing, managing clients, CRM, stuff like that. That I I know I I knew it was going to be where I wanted to invest some time and effort, but I didn't know where to balance them. So 
Um, I sat down with my accountant, you know, we went over who's handling what and what happens, blah, 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 yada, yada. And now it's a, it's a super streamlined process. Um, so they manage, you know, their part of it. And then I use it for, um, invoicing. I use it for, um, estimates. I use it for keeping all of my clients as well as my subcontractors and employees, um, in an organized fashion. Um, they, they can link directly to it and it makes that super seamless and integrated. Um, so you know, my whole process of that was to try to evaluate um, things that I'm good at. And it's like, yeah, I'm good at learning new things, but is this something I really, really want to learn? Well, no, I'd rather be in the shop building or I'd rather be doing something creative or I'd rather be producing content or I'd rather be out selling or whatever it might be. But there was 25 other things on the list when it came to it that I would rather be doing. So I had to look at how much it would cost to have these things managed and then how much it I can, how much money I can make not doing those things. And that's like I said earlier, that's the conundrum is, oh my goodness, you're going to get this price tag of like, say we'll go with an even number, like a thousand dollars. And they're going to be like, and you're going to say to yourself, well, I can do all of this. You know, why am I paying a grand for your services? Well, in the scheme of however long that, you know, time period is, can you make up for that thousand dollars that you'll yeah. be paying them? It's in the time it's you're the saving. time value of money, right? Opportunity cost is another word for it, right? Yeah. So, what job are you turning down? Yeah. Because you're in there doing your QuickBooks versus out yeah. there welding or, or whatever. And I think that's the so flipping it around. I think that's the um, that's the struggle. So I, I like how you know how you as a as a business owner and being full time business. Um, when you flip that around, so I'll, I'll show it from the side hustle perspective because that's where I came from, right? So I was working a day job um, and doing all this on the side, starting out. And it started out just with like little stuff with cutting boards and and selling small things around uh, to friends and, you know, people who might need a commission through word of mouth or whatever. And uh, so it started out with very little money. And so I didn't even, you know, I didn't even like claim anything for uh, the first year or, or so. And then as it started getting in where I was actually making okay money, I was, I was actually making money where I had to need to claim it. Um, same thing. I was like, well, yeah, I can't pay somebody a thousand bucks, you know, because that would like eat up like a quarter of my profits, you know? So as, as it started going and say, maybe I made, you know, 5,000 bucks or something. It's like, oh man, I can't afford that. And because as a side hustler, like you're bootstrapping it. And so you're not out there like that. That's not on the front of your mind because you don't have the capital to go out and pay for services. So I was in there learning all these things and, and being, you know, having a technical background, it's actually even worse. I almost think that it's better, like not knowing, not, not having a background in, you know, business or engineering or whatever it is, because when you have a background in these things, um, you're more prone to be like, Oh, I can figure that out. I can do that. Versus being like, I have no idea about accounting. Like, I'm, yeah, I don't trust myself. I don't want to do it. I'm going to offload it. Uh, I think what I had and what a lot of people do have, even if you don't have that background, you still have the, you know, I always like to call it the Superman syndrome. And you're like, I can do anything. Like, I, I can figure that out. Mm-hmm. No problem. And uh, I, I did my taxes for so long. And I, I owned rental property for, oh gosh, for 12 years. And I, I, th- I may have even told this story. It may have been the after show, but um, so I got burned a long time ago on hiring on help and I've been gun shy ever since. And uh, I brought on a CPA because I was doing it. And my buddy was like, dude, why are you still doing the, your taxes? Like you, I, I got a CPA. Here you go. So I brought on the CPA to do my taxes. Uh, she did my taxes and I was like, okay, cool. It wasn't even that much. It was like 300 bucks, 275 bucks or something like that. And then she gave them back me being Brad I whipped them open and I was like going through them, like looking, you know, like basically auditing her work. And I found like this egregious error where it costed, it cost me, she missed like a $700 write-off and not, it was a seven valued at 700. So after tax. So I went back and I was like, you like, you jacked this up. And she's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, I did. Sorry about that. Uh, so, so I had her resubmit it, you know, redo it. And then, and then I was like, this is, this is crazy. You're like, yeah, that lady just cost me 700 bucks. And so, you know, that, that's where for me, that's kind of my background of like, if you don't do it yourself, you know, if you want it done right, do it yourself type mentality. And I know that like that, that is a crippling mentality because it holds you away from all those things that you just talked about. Because 
I'm not good at it. It's going to take me twice as long or three times as long as they will. And I'm not doing other things I should be doing. Yeah. Like we sat down together on a FaceTime and or Skype and did our taxes for made for profit this year, which is very simple. <laughs> and I believe it was still 10 hours. Um, we could have dedicated to something else. So in that time value, we both said next year, we next are not year, doing <laughs> any of this. Um, so, you know, because of that, um, you're going to find a ton of instances in your day-to-day operation or your weekly operation, monthly operation, in which you will see things that are not as important as others and still need done. And that's where you need to start evaluating what you can offload. Um, so, um, a lot of us that are full-time have so much going on um, that you look at everything and you just start putting out fires. And you just start – you throw a list together. You use an app or a note card or whatever you do to manage your daily tasks. And you just write them all down and start checking them off. And what you what we all get ingrained in us is that we think we're doing things for the right reasons because we're checking things off of a list. When you take a step back and look at it, you realize I'm doing nothing to grow my business just because everything that's going into it is making my business run. So with that, you know, you want to take a look at everything happening. Um, And for me, this goes back to my schedule. So I think I've talked about it before, you know, Mondays I sit down and I go over my schedule for the week. I map out times to the best I can to work on certain things. Um, for instance, you know, I have to do the artwork for made for profit every week. Brad manages the posting and the editing, uh, the second edit, and just to make sure everything's clean. Like we have our roles and duties, right? So I set an allotted amount of time aside for that every week. Well, before we had many more tasks going into the show that both Brad and I looked at it and said, wow, this is taking up a ton of time. How can we offload this? Um, and in that, We were like an editor, easy fix to a lot of our issues, hours of our time that we can dedicate to producing better content for you guys, developing new products, developing new strategies for the future, um, things like that. So we offloaded that task. We saw time value on where we could be putting um, more important time for us into something. Can Brad edit? Yes. Can I edit? Yes. Um, So You know, where do you draw the line there is kind of going to become the next question. Well, for myself and Brad on this situation, I could I'll I'll go out and I'll probably say um, enjoyment and happiness was a massive factor that went into this decision for us. And this is going to be something that comes into um, a decision for a lot of you guys. And when you're going to offload a task, you need to evaluate if that task makes you unhappy. And like those are the first things I get rid of, because none of us want to be in business for ourselves to be unhappy. You go into business for yourself to build the life that you want and build the dream that you want. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, it's hard. But in that, you don't intentionally make it hard on yourself, right? So we both saw it was like, man, this is a drag. You know, we don't, we, we, this, these tasks are just so emotionally, you know, dragging and blah, blah, blah. Let's find a pro that's faster, that enjoys it, that gets it done quick. And boom, we offloaded that. And we've been cruising through um, cruising through the show tasks and things we want to get done since we did that and made that decision. So when you're looking at your own personal scope of work on the, on the weekly or daily or monthly basis, you need to evaluate the tasks that make you miserable or things that yeah, you don't like. The stuff that you dread. Those that are, you're like, oh, gosh, this is coming up. And, I, I hate doing and this. And there's some things you're never going to be able to offload. Like if you hate email, well – Suck it up because you're always going to have to, you know, go through your email. <laughs> you you can offload email. I mean, that that's way down. Like here, Pat Flynn, you know, Pat has somebody that like goes through and scroll. I think you have to be at a different level to, to be able to do yeah, that. Yeah, you do. But I mean, I'm, I'm Mark Cuban's still answering his emails and so is Pat Flynn. You know, like that just might not be every single one. Right. Yeah. So that's where you can, you know, start to realize I hate answering inquiry emails okay right so for me you can filter those more exactly you create a process have an assistant that says hey here's these five emails that you need to talk about you know i deleted the other 180 yes or put them in a folder so so when you start to think of you know what tasks or aspects of the business should i start unloading i personally suggest that your brain needs to go to the ones that you dislike because those are going to be what draws you away from the enjoyment of your work it's going to make you less hesitant to do what you want to be doing. And like, I know when I have a, when I have things that I don't want to do, I'm 
<laughs> I'm trying to find excuses all around. Like, oh, my desk is dirty. Let me clean this up. Oh, I know I got to go do this. And they know, oh, I should probably go eat now. You know, and then like you put it off, you put it off, you put it off. Um, and there's a lot of professional um, business coaches and webinars, classes, and all of them out there. And a lot of them will say, put your <laughs> put your most disliked task at the top of your list and get it done first in your day, and you will feel like you you know massive weight overcame you. Well, I say skip that if you can and offload those tasks to somebody else so you never have to deal with them. And when you right. do, you know it's it's something that's um, going to bring a lot of value to the business. Um, so, you know, yeah. s- stuff like accounting is easy. Um, lawyer, I would definitely look into having some sort of a legal relationship with a professional. Um, if you start getting into contracted work that way, you know, you can always just run it by them um, and then. Whether that's a friend or you hire a firm professionally, um, you know, those things do help a ton. Um, And and there are little tasks that you think you can manage on your own that take up days. And when, you know, minutes add into hours, hours add into days and days take up months and months go into years. And then you realize you you last a lot of time doing things you don't really need to be doing or want to be doing. Right. And I'll I'll add on to that. The same thing. So things that you don't want to do, but also things that you're not good at. So, or things, especially with the lawyer piece, if you are not adept at legalese and being able to read a contract and get through all the heretofore and, you know, all the, all the, <laughs> that still cracks me up, like the way they write contracts. But, you know, if, if you have a hard time understanding contracts and really getting the gist of what's going on, um, you should be, you should have somebody helping you there. And, you know, even if it's just, you know, even if it's a buddy or a friend or whatever that that has a background or that's a lawyer or whatever um, or paralegal, anything that somebody to help you understand that, because what you don't want to do, uh, because you, you can really get into some bad situations signing the wrong contracts. So, you know, that would be something if you're not really adept and really understand what it's saying, if there's any question in your mind, you need to get somebody on board to at least help you understand it. Uh, and, you know, maybe you don't pay them 250 an hour to, to go through it and redraft it or whatever. Uh, but I think that's somewhere where you should definitely pull on folks. Um, you know, I, again, I am, so just for full clarity and, and uh, admonition, I am still doing most of my stuff and including that just because I've done, I've been doing con, like I said, I've been, I was in doing rentals for so long. So I bought properties. I did uh, you know a bunch of applications and rental agreements and all kinds of different stuff and contracted services. So uh, I have seen and written and signed my fair share of contracts. So I feel very confident when I read a contract. Uh, and so, you know, I just got a contract back from a, uh, from a potential client a sponsor and it was 15 pages. Yes. And I was like, oh, <laughs> 15, like, like my favorite my favorite sponsors to work with are the ones that are like, okay, here, here's just like, you know, a one pager. Here's what you're going to do. Here's how much we're going to pay you. Uh, here's what it looks like. Boom. Let's go. And I'm like, thank you. Like 15 pagers are, are. Yes. In the scheme of things for just a little bit of clarity, understanding that typically comes from a third party or uh, yes. an agency. It comes from a law firm. Yeah. yeah. Which is, uh, you know, so we deal with that a, a decent amount, but even our um, our side hustlers and people doing work for, say, designers or architects for final clients, they'll take the same precautions and they'll legal up um, to make sure that they're not held liable if, you know, deliverables right. aren't executed upon within a contract. So even though, you know, Brad and I are specifically talking about content creation, this is 100 percent applicable to anybody doing custom work. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and that's the funny thing. Somebody told me one time, it's like the reason that all this stuff is in a contract is because somebody got burned by that at some point. Mm -hmm. Right. So exactly what you're saying, like everybody's trying to cover all the bases. Um, And so just as an aside, uh, any contract you get fully negotiable, right. That's just words on a page. Like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, everything is fully negotiable. And so, uh, they might not be willing to, you know, take off certain pieces. But if you're not comfortable with a piece of a contract, that that's why it's so important to understand it and know what it is, because there's a certain piece. And so for all you content creators out there that uh, and again, this is just a little aside. So go do some research on this. But there's a clause called work for hire. And I know a lot of people just sign it. Um, and essentially what work for hire is, is it means that you are performing business, you're performing services 
for the company and everything that you make, create, the company owns 100% of. Um, as And that is a huge thing for like artists, creators, like not just in, you know, content space, but like even more so for like writers and, and artists and those type things. Um, so anyway, look out for that. Go do some research on it. It's called Work for Hire. It's actually a, a clause or a, or a law or a statute or whatever. Um, but as a creator, you do not want to be signing work for hire because you literally do not own the content anymore. And they could say, you need to strip all that off. You need to delete all those videos. You, you know, you can't share this. Um, technically you would have to have a license and, and all this good stuff to share it anywhere. So it's things like that is like, if you're not familiar with that stuff, you can really get burned. So I, I agree with you, John, bringing those people in, uh, stuff you don't like as well as stuff you're not good at or stuff that's taking you a long time. So that's kind of the back office pieces. And, um, and I know John, for the same thing of the stuff that you don't like that you've, uh, you know, you've been working with, uh, like having somebody filter a lot of your stuff of your incoming inquiries and having an assistant going on, like, how's that worked out as far as taking away some of that minutia of the work? So uh, I look at things, um, in the aspect of if a professional exists in that industry, there's a reason for it and it's because they're better than you. So I don't care how good either one of us or any of us get at something. There's always somebody better, right? So, um, in the, in the concept of hiring an assistant, I knew that I was extremely inefficient in my inquiry process as well as my email filtering responses, um, and the, and everything that goes into, um, the client relationship management aspect of my business. So with that, I um, decided to look for a an assistant. Um, and that was because an individual who is trained to do such things and to work through all the clutter, to work through all of the um, you know long processes that I don't I'm not good at, nor do I enjoy, um, it would be a much better uh, you know, much more valuable aspect to my business than me trying to just get through it all, all the time. Or like I said, just knock things off the list and put out fires. So, um, you know, the reasoning behind finding an assistant was one coming from Sean Van Dyke, um, who said, you know, and to me, uh, in one of our, one of our conversations that when he hired his assistant, it freed up a ton of time for him to actually focus on the thing that grows the business. And I realized that I was doing a lot of the same things he was, um, and, and, so they're not necessarily mistakes, but what they are are things that take away time from what you're most valuable at. Now, as a part-timer, um, would I suggest an assistant? Uh, absolutely not. Um, these are the tasks that you have to suffer through that are part yeah, of the grind it out. side hustle that you grind out. But if you're if you're full-time and like, for instance, Brad and myself, our, the scale of our content businesses are based on the amount of content we produce, Right. So if we want to make a larger income, we need to produce more content um, in its simplest form. So things that take away from producing content are going to be things that go into that um, opportunity cost or time value that we were speaking about earlier. So something that, you know, there are um, there's secretarial services, there are assistants, there's virtual assistants, there's tons of options out there to offload tasks efficiently. Um, and there are professionals out there too. So in that, you have an opportunity for a process in your business that sucks to get better. And that's kind of how I looked at it. I was like, you know, this process sucks. Let me bring someone in who's got experience, who's going to be able to help me develop the processes. And this was a mistake I was making. I used to think that I had to have a process in place in order to hire. And then I, I realized, and after talking with Sean some more, it was no Work that process out together in your discovery period with your new employee or your new your new sub, um, and then that process will actually end up working much more to your benefit. So I decided that you know I was going to put certain tasks on an administrative role for all three of the businesses, um, and made for profit never we haven't really got there yet with it, but uh, the processes in order to eventually offload them are getting um, into place. So. Long of it being the process of which you have something happening in your business. There's going to be a professional or a professional service out there that does it better than you. You need to evaluate whether your time is more valuable in A segment or B segment and offload the one that's taking away from the other. 
for myself. Right. That was the inquiry process. That was the conversations back and forth. That was, you know, the time it goes into putting a drawing out there. Well, there's an hour or so of emailing and fact finding that goes into each one of those. If I get 10 of those a week, that's 10 hours of my week plus two hours per drawing. You can see how easily my time gets sucked up into things. And if I'm vetting these uh, clients and, um, you know, that's 30 more inquiries that are possibly coming in that that hours lost as well um, because they say no. So putting that under somebody else and paying them a reasonable fee, letting them develop a process in which you both work together on um, seems just like a much better solution. And it has been. It, it's worked out great. Um, and it's it's really put the time back into what I wanted to be focusing on. Um, and it's made me a lot happier because I truly hate that aspect of the business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, the interesting part about it is, uh, you know, you say time value and opportunity cost. Uh, but there's, there's this thing, I mean, it all goes into it. There's a lot of different ways to say it. Uh, but there's also highest and best use. And that's actually like a real estate term. So kind of highest and best use. And that is uh, of your time. So, you know, like you said, John, I think there's an interesting part there about, is there a professional who can do it better? And then what you have to do is you have to weigh that against how much does that professional cost? So, you know, that's why the editing one is a little bit harder because, um, you know, so when you look at tasks and offloading tasks, especially with back office stuff or electronic related, computer related work, uh, that you can get some things for very cheap. And then as you go up the tier, uh, you can pay more and more and more. So if you start off something about, you know, somebody, somebody, let's say going in and just scrubbing your email. Like that could be a virtual assistant task. Hey, I want you to go in there, read through these and categorize and put them into different buckets uh, that can't be done just through a filter. Like you have to read them. Uh, so, you know, you might pay somebody like $10 an hour for that. I don't know. Like there's services like Upwork and Fiverr mm-hmm. where you can get people from overseas. Uh, Pinterest. Pinterest is a great example. I know people who who put out their Pinterest and they're paying seven or eight dollars an hour for people to go in and do things on Pinterest for them. So, uh, is your time is one hour of your time more worth is better worth worth to the business? Wow, I butchered that. Is one hour of your time uh, worth more or less than seven dollars an hour? Right. So then that's an easy one. It's like, well, yeah, obviously. So like me spending an hour going on Pinterest and pinning things versus having somebody do it for me, clearly. That that is better for me to pay somebody seven dollars to do that, and then I can go bill out at fifty dollars an hour. Yep. When you go into let's go to the total other end, uh, a lawyer, right? So a lawyer, if I'm going to pay a lawyer two hundred and fifty dollars an hour versus me muddling through, it's going to take a lawyer an hour. It's going to take me three hours, uh, and so then all of a sudden that you have that twist. But then what you add into that is the legal ramifications, right? So some of the times it's not going to make sense financially, but the legal ramifications or the ramifications to exposure for your business means that you need to go ahead and pay that money mm-hmm. or you just can't do it. Like, you you know, there are certain things like you can't go, well, I guess you could, but, you know, represent yourself in court or, or whatever it is. If there are legal documents that need to be done by a professional, you're going to have to pay those people. So that's kind of like the, you know, the, the whole spectrum of it. And along there and in the middle is kind of where it's it's a little more tough like so for video editing i'm going through that right now trying to get a video editor because uh you know video editing is is not something i can get somebody to do for 10 bucks an hour right so that's it's scooching on up there in the price range uh i'm proficient at it i actually get a decent amount of enjoyment out of it but it takes a lot of time it is a it is something that's holding me back uh from doing more content so that's somewhere where I look at it and I go, wow, I really want to offload video editing. And I have gone down that road and I've started doing that and started trying to find somebody. And we'll, we'll talk here in a minute about our struggles. Uh, but, you know, those are the type of things that I think are, are really interesting because anybody can video edit. So that's the other thing. What, what is the things that make your business you that only you can do? Right. For me, that's me being on camera. Like I cannot hire anybody to be Brad Rodriguez, fix this, build that and go, What's up, guys? I'm Brad Rodriguez from Fix This. But like, I can't do that. This is my business. This is a, a personal thing. And that's as a solopreneur, if you are a custom furniture builder uh, and that people are expecting your work, right, your quality, because you make custom, like my buddy Grant Batson makes pipes here locally. Like they, people buy the pipes because he makes them. Like it's a very, very skilled thing. You can have people make tables for you and glue up tops and do that stuff. But there's some things that only you can do as an artisan, 
right? So again, how, how do you bring that on and where are the pieces that they can fill in so that you can do what only you can do for your business? And I think that's going to take a lot of self-reflection. So what, you know, both of us have been going through in this process is looking at what do we contribute um, in a grand scheme of things. And yes, it's very cool and complimentary when someone hits you up and they go, oh my goodness, you're a one-man wrecking crew. And you're like, yeah, you know, you puff your chest out and you feel great about it. But then you realize that like people that are actually executing on a high level have teams and there's a reason behind that and it's because they focus on what's most important to them. So, you know, as we, as we go through this, you know, the first little part of this conversation, we've been focusing mainly on the concept of outsourcing when it comes to hiring, you know, things that do not have to specifically have an individual sitting next to you or holding their hand. My assistant, for instance, isn't never even in the shop. Um, everything we do is remote. We get a coffee, uh, once every two weeks or so and have a meeting, um, in person and all of that stuff is handled remote or outside of the physical shop. So you can consider that outsourcing. I think the next part to go into is going to be the type of hiring you want to do. Are you going to hire on a subcontractor level or as an employee? Um, and the main difference between subcontracting versus having an employee to our understanding at least is going to be liability. Um, <clears throat> a subcontractor uh, the liability is on them. They are required in some states to have um, an EIN number and be a properly insured business, especially if you are doing physical labor. Um, and this will be a piece of advice for all of you is to make sure you look into your local um, administrative laws for subcontracting and that if you are hiring any subs that they are insured on their own. That's a big thing here in Pennsylvania that I get constantly. If I'm subbing any work on a job for a client that um, they always send me a you know their uh, contract and in that contract I have to provide um, insurance for all of my subs um, if I'm using any and and that's because you know there's a ton of legal ramifications there so anyway besides that um, a subcontractor uh, they're typically going to be getting no benefits from you there's not any guarantee of time unless it's a contract you know in that contract they'll be uh, paid for their uh, you know completion of whatever the job may be and the scope. Um, they don't get paid time off. They don't have the standard benefits of an employee. Um, and, and I use this a ton for myself because of that aspect of it. Um, it keeps liability off of me and puts it on them. But what it also right. does is it puts the um, ability of the subcontractor to kind of make some of the rules on their own because they're not bound to you in any way. Right. There's no, that, that's a big one. That's a big, because from coming from, um, retail and corporate, that's a big one. They talk about subcontractor is that one of the key differentiations is, uh, are they making their own decisions or right? That's the main difference between a subcontractor and employee is like you're guiding them. So a subcontractor is providing a service or a product and they figure out how they do it. So that's, that's, that was always the, the, kind of the litmus test that we had is like, are you giving them direction or there? So that's, yeah, that's a big one on the subcontractors that they can, they're running their own show, yeah, but they're giving you an agreed upon product or service. Yes. And, and so in that, you know, they're not really bought into your business or your brand as much as an employee maybe. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot to weigh there in however you want to go about, um, your hiring process An employee now is going to, you know, you're going to have to pay, um, employee tax. Um, you're going to have to pay, um, for, you know, time off and vacation, sick days, things like that. Um, all of this will be pre-negotiated, uh, rates and bonuses and blah, 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 yada, yada, all has to be mapped out beforehand. But in that, <clears throat> the, um, the benefit of an employee, you know, you're going to get somebody who's actually bought into your brand, somebody that's there for the long haul. Um, there are terms of the contract. And like Brad said, um, they're working for you, not themselves. Um, so, you know, when you when you start to consider how you want to be bring people on board, those are going to be basically your two options for um, for how you want to do it. And uh, and, and in that, you know, there's give there's there's benefits to both sides. Um, and we're not going to dive too deep into that, but it's just definitely something you want to consider. Yeah. And I think that's a big one, uh, John, as far as the bought in and, and not, um, so it, it kind of, it's hard because as I think about, you know, going back to the video editing. So, and I know, you know, you, you can talk about bringing on 
shop help, right? Because that's what a lot of folks are probably wanting to hear about is like, hey, when do I bring somebody on to help me build? Um, for me, bringing on somebody to do the tasks is that I'm almost always going to be bringing on subcontractors. I don't have uh, any, I don't have any plans at the moment of bringing on employees. So it's always yeah. going to be subcontracting. And it's always that, you know, as a subcontractor, there's kind of that uh, at arm's length type thing. Like they are not bought into the business. They are performing a task for me. Um, although you can have, you know, you can have long-term subcontractors, like you can have somebody you always use as a subcontractor, but it's still kind of their show. You're just a paycheck to them, uh, from, a you know, and, and some employees can be like that as well, uh, obviously, but it, it, there's just not that ownership. And I know that that's a big thing, John, that as you've gone through, we've, t- we've talked a lot about, about ownership. So, you know, one of the things, whether you're bringing on an employee or a subcontractor, uh, I think that there has to be one of the first things that you want to do when you're going in is understand and be on the same level with this person about how they're delivering the service. You know, are they really taking pride in their service? Uh, Are they a professional? Have you looked at their past work? So as you're getting into these things is that as you evaluate a subcontractor versus employee, you really want to approach it the same way. Uh, And there might be legal differences and obviously a subcontractor will have a a lot more leeway in how they do it. But you want to make sure that um, you've looked, you know, you've gone through, you've looked at their work in the past, whether that's builds or technical work from editing or other kinds of services, uh, referrals. I mean, all those things like you want to, you know, don't, don't just go half cocked in here and be like, Oh, you, you, you edit. Cool. Like let's, let's do this. Um, because you're, you're going to wind up with, you know, some egg on your face. And the flip side of that is that just through my, so I, I brought somebody on for a trial for editing and my, I didn't, I did not do it the right way. I did not do it the right way. I, uh, I, I did the, the upfront. I saw some of their work look great. Um, and I was like, yes, like I'm super stoked, uh, met in person, great people. And then, uh, gave them a video, which, uh, was, you know, just one of my typical videos, but it was like a deliverable video. I had a time crunch on it and we, we worked through the timing and everything and I, I gave it to them and, the rough edit came back and it was miles away from what I wanted. And so I was like, Oh, (laughs) okay. Uh, and I guess I just took, you know, I I took for granted that what it would be. And so, and so instead of like what I learned there and then it ended up like the, the rough draft, I, I did two and a half pages of edits, sent it back to them. Uh, they basically just checked out. They're like, I'm, like, this is not going to work. And I was like, okay. So I invested all this time and then basically was at square one because actually some of the stuff I couldn't even use their edit because of some technical things, but it was, it was pretty bad. And so what I learned from that, and like, this was just very recent, but what I learned from that is that what I should have done, what I should, instead of going in and just throwing them the entire kitchen sink is that I should have started them on something small. And what I'm going to be doing, like my wife and I were just talking about it is I want to, get together uh, something that is a standard of, you know, maybe 10 to 15 minutes of footage and be able to give that to somebody and say, Hey, make me a one minute clip out of this. And so it's like super, it's trial, like, and, you know, depending upon who the person is, either I can pay them an hourly rate or it can be just like almost like an interview trial type thing. Cause it should not take more than an hour to do um, and use that to be like, okay, how does this person work? You know, what are the things? Because seeing somebody's finished work, you don't know, like when, when they give you references, you don't know that could have taken them a year to make, you know, like you don't know how quickly they can turn that around or who else was involved, who they got help them. Uh, so, yeah, that was something I, I got burned by, man, as I just threw them in there. So same thing, like if you had a big client build coming up and you had somebody come to the shop and just like, hey, yo, build this. Like, that's basically what I did. Yep. And uh, it it did not go well. Yeah. And that's going to bring like to my experience, bring me to my next point is going to be employee drop off. Um, and this isn't this is the aspect of where when you hire somebody, there's I don't care how good they are. Always expect some sort of drop off in the quality and speed in which things are done. Um, and then typically, you know, gauge that to be somewhere between a, you know, they're capable of 75 percent to 90% of what you're capable of and just be ready for it because what's happened to both of us in the past has been offloading tasks that seem mundane and easy to us and then having them completely drop the ball because we as the hirer or employer 
Um, I don't think hire is a word, but anyway, as hire, the employer, hire. yes, as the employer, um, you know, we do these things all the time and offloading them and just verbalizing it. You expect things to be done to a certain standard and then they're not. So what happened in that situation for me, this took some self-evaluation to sit back and go, how did this individual fail in this situation? What did I do wrong here in order for them to not succeed? So um, we'll go to an example of mine in which um, when we were doing a, we were, I was doing a countertop um, way back uh, last year and it was super simple. I went and I templated the countertop. I brought on a new guy. Um, we went through the process of them building the countertop. I wasn't in the shop the day it was being constructed. I laid out everything and I verbalized what I wanted done, how I wanted it done. Here was the template. Here's the piece of wood. Here's how it should be done. Blah, 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 yada, yada, right? I come back the next day and it's not done to what I wanted. And when we had the conversation on what happened there, um, what I realized was my learning process is 100% and completely different than theirs. In that, verbalizing what needed done didn't get through or I missed something. So what do I need to do? I need to develop a process in which I can offload these things. So when that task or whatever it is gets to the 75% of completion aspect, it only takes me five minutes of the next coaching aspect or whatever it is um, in the quality control check or whatever's happening to get it to 100% instead of them getting it to 100% and then having to start over back at zero. Um, yes. So they're going to have drop off there and you need to be expecting it. Same thing happened with, you know, what you your example there with the video editing, offloading an entire video edit onto somebody and then expecting them to give you a product back without going through the process with them um, the whole way. You're obviously not going to get something up to yeah. standard. And like in hindsight, it's always 2020 and you're like, wow, I should have, <laughs> you know, we should have sat down for two hours and edited this together or something like that. Right, right. Or have them go along the way. Checkpoints. Yes. Like what you said is is exactly right. Like I think that that like that, you know, thinking about where did I fail? And, you know, again, I I think that's the other thing as a business owner is like you have to own it. And I, and I love what you said there, John. And, and um, you know, I've I just got through listening to uh, Extreme Ownership. Yes. And uh, Jocko. that great by Jocko. Yeah. And and Leif. Um, great book. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, that is a, a great book about being a, an owner of your business and the the idea there, and they're, they're Navy SEALs, and the idea there is that no matter what happens to your business, you are the owner. And if you make excuses, uh, then you know, you're just letting yourself off. So going to there, like what I should have done, instead of, yeah, I just like gave him the whole meal and I was like, hey, come back when you're done. Like I should have gave him the appetizer. And saying that, like, hey, here's here's the whole meal, but um, go ahead and take, you know, take a cut at the first minute of footage and then let's touch base and let's see where you did. So I, I let that person go through and edit the entire video before I saw any of it. Bad move. Mm -hmm. Bad move. Like I should have touched base. We should have gone through. Oh, no, I really like what you did here. Um, typically right here. I, you know, I don't like showing that. Uh yeah, don't ever show me manhandling a piece of plywood up onto the table saw and turning the table saw on with my foot. That that's kind of like not what I want to show in my videos. <laughs> but <laughs> things that it. like they have no idea, right? Because like because <laughs> they're they, they were not a woodworker. Like they have no idea what work woodworking is. That's another thing. Like if you have somebody that's not familiar, and that's where it's very different from from video editing. Because obviously, if you're bringing somebody in the shop, maybe maybe the the nuance there would be if you bring somebody in that's not familiar with welding or with concrete work or whatever with countertop there's there's a process they're not familiar with even though they're familiar with doing the total thing um is is like you know making sure that they understand because like they don't know like how you know that that person has they supposed to know that like that's not cool to show you turning off the table turn on the table saw with your foot like maybe that's just how you're supposed to do it because it's like the first time they've seen somebody using a table saw uh so yeah i, I think giving them giving them checkpoints. I think that's the key is, is checkpoints through the work, uh, for feedback and correction instead of getting to the end and being disappointed. And then there's been so much work in between here and there that you're kind of both in a spot where you're like, this is not working. Yeah. And, and these are things that are going to happen in the shop as well. So things like, for instance, if you hire a woodworker or someone who has experience, their experience is going to be completely different than yours. They're 
um, concept of quality could be different from yours. Their ideas on how to do things efficiently could be different than yours. And that can be good and bad. So there, there's going to be a drop off in a learning curve. Um, and there, and it's always going to be there. You're never going to be able to just offload things and be done with them because if that was the case, then nobody would ever have to go into work again that owns a business. There's a reason that CEOs and COOs and all of these C-level titled individuals still go in the office because when it when when you get away from doing the actual task and you begin offloading them, that's when the managing aspect of the business comes into play. And in that, you need to be able to self-reflect and develop processes in which you can put other people in positions to win. And this is something that I struggle with because I become mentally exhausted trying to teach and coach somebody up, um, especially remotely. And this is very difficult for me. Um, and, and I take things to extreme levels because I played, I played sports in which if you made mistakes, you lost your job. If you made mistakes, somebody else suffered dramatically. If I whiff on a three technique and he smashes the quarterback in the teeth and you go straight varsity blues and Billy Bob's falling on his face and he breaks, you know, dude's (laughs) arm or dude's leg, you know, his season could end, his career could end. Like there's major ramifications of screw ups. So... You know, my my one of the drawbacks of me personally is that I look at everything in that light. You know, like if you make a mistake, I don't care if it's like a little dot of uh, stain or finish on a piece of furniture I is very difficult for me to not lose my mind um, because I take things to an extremely over the top level. So, you know, early on when I got started I, I, hiring and bringing people on board, I realized like, wow, it's very most people cannot function in a setting that's that tense. Um, so I had to evaluate my process and I'm continually trying to get better, but it's why I've had, you know, difficulties with hiring is because I know I'm a difficult human being and I have a very high standard. (laughs) So does that mean that you can't go out and hire? No. What it means is that you need to be working on developing those skills in order to manage because that is the next step after you do hire. Um, so in that, if you have a pro say you want to hire somebody to help you in the shop. My advice is going to be clearly outline what you want that individual doing. I mean, crystal clear. Everything from turning the lights on and off to what temperature the heater should be set at to sweeping the floors to how you want them breaking down full sheets of plywood when you start a project to how you finish it, every little aspect of it, you get in the habit of laying those things out. That way, somebody is held accountable for the things that are missed. My biggest issue with hiring and subcontracting people is that There is this concept within our society nowadays that accountability essentially doesn't exist. When you make a mistake, it's whoops onto the next. And in my experience in life, if you're not accountable for your actions, like I said, on the football field, somebody else is getting hurt. Somebody else is there's going to be ramifications across the board in a team dynamic like that. So I take accountability very hard. Um, And very serious. So set up a process in which you hold other people accountable. What I what Buck and I developed over time came to be that I'm just going to put the tasks that he's best at on him and I'll handle handle the rest. What that does is it saves me time of um, him doing things that he may be slower at or not as efficient at in uh, the building process. And then the cost of what goes into it for me, one, two saves me time fixing things or teaching things that he just may never be able to pick up as well as him not having to go through things with me and show me this whole line of items and stuff that we have to check off a list. If he's, you know, he was extremely, he's extremely proficient in certain aspects of what he's doing. And with those tasks, boom, unload him. He gets them done because he was a sub. He just goes home when he's done. And like that worked out great for, for a long time for us as I'm not doing as much custom work now. Um, hopefully those, you know, that process and whatnot can be applied to the next aspect of where I go with my business. But in that, you know, you develop a a functioning working relationship that works very well, um, or one that doesn't and you part ways. Uh, so, you know, like you need to be able to self-reflect, you need to be able to realize that you are not always correct. Like I, I know in my head that I am 100% the man at absolutely everything, But that doesn't mean the rest of the world sees it that way. So when you're hiring, you need to be expecting drop off in 
the quality of what's happening, the time in which it's happening, as well as the process in which it's happening. Not No two people are built the same. And even Brad and I, when we're working on tasks and stuff for MFP, you know, we uh, get to a certain point and then we know we have to come together to wrap them up. And we work well in that because it's typically 90, 95% and boom, we're able to close things out quickly and understand the quality of everything else that's there. But that's a rare situation. Um, so, you know, when Brad does something, I look at it and I understand that if it's a task I'm normally doing, for instance, like the artwork for the show, if I have an issue and blah, blah, there's going to be a little bit of a drop off. Like I do things a fit more efficiently. I have templates and all this type of stuff set up. Brad doesn't work with Illustrator as much as I do. Like there's going to be a little bit of drop up there, but understanding that and getting into it, boom, picking it back up, vice versa. Brad puts a task on me and he knows that he's much better at it. Something with the website, for instance, you know, if I miss a few things, it's no big deal because it's understood beforehand. When you dump the entire list of what's happening into a hiring role or somebody else who's employed by you and they then they don't get it done, that's where you're going to be like, well, this was stupid. Why did I even hire this person? You know, right. and you're going to be pushed away from it. Understand that there's going to be drop off. And I, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that, like you hit on something really important there is um, expectations. And that is probably like, I would say that is the number one. So no matter who you hire, no matter, I mean, there, there's a whole other thing and we're kind of talking this, but I know, you know, Sean, talk about hiring up. And when you hire up, you hire freedom. So actually hiring people better than you. Uh, and, and I think that's a great way to go as well. But, you know, I don't think John and I are quite there yet, even though we'd want to be. Although, like you know, I want to hire a better video editor than me. But I, I think where where that comes into play is the expectations is that no matter if you're hiring up or if you're hiring somebody that is below you in the skill level, is that the expectations, like you said, John, are are clear and that uh, I think one of the things in, in me being so I was a manager in corporate world for however long, a decade plus. Um, and one of the things like as I was learning and growing and becoming uh, a better manager and, and man, I fell short so many times, so often, even in the end, is that one of the consistent themes is when I held somebody accountable for something I didn't tell them I was going to hold them accountable for. I did not set the expectation. They came back and then I'm like, this is like, you, you didn't do this this way. Like, this is like, why, why did you not, you know, of course, like, like you said, like something that, and what that typically is, is something that is an ingrained expectation in your mind that you're like, well, of course you would always balance the audio. Like why? Like I, that's, that's standard. That's like the base thing. Why would you not balance the audio? But did you ever tell somebody did you tell them like, hey, I want the audio balanced to negative 16 luffs. I want you to go through. I want you to kill the noise background, the squeaky chair. Uh, make sure you pull that out, too, and, <laughs> and and go in. So and I think that's extremely important for uh, for both. I was thinking about it as, as we were sitting here talking, I was thinking about it like you and I uh, probably got to be the worst people to work for because we have extremely high expectations. And I think probably a lot of our listeners do, too. You know, they're kind of like the type A personality. You want it done. Uh, and, and the flip side of that, I have high expectations and my attention to detail is it, it's it's not natural. Um, I am the world's best nitpicker and that's not a good thing. Uh, it can be a good thing, but if it's done in the wrong way and not in a productive way and like, hey, well, you see, like you said, the drop of finish, you see the drop of finish right there. Like it has to be a learning environment when you're working with employee, like a, attacking people for things that they didn't do to meet your expectations is only going to take you south. You have to be in a position where you are teaching and coaching, not judging and, you know, laying blame. Yes. Like that is that that is just a key that I have learned because, man, I and believe me, I have failed, 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 failed. Uh, you know, whether it's with my family, you know, I do that with my kids all the time. I'm like, why did you? Well, I didn't really tell them. And like, you know, my boy's nine. Like he doesn't know. <laughs> Like he doesn't understand the concept of uh, air conditioning going out the door. And like, you know, I, I tell him those like dollar bills flying out the door when you leave the door open. Like, it's not, not, not there as much as I want him to grasp that it is not there. It's just like it is not in his mindset. And so the same thing, like, you know, be in a situation of coaching like that. That's my biggest thing, setting clear expectations. And then when things don't work, um, that you, you have to you have to take it from a coaching and, and putting your arm around them. And saying, okay, look, here's what now when it happens for the third time, that's when you can get up in their grill and just be like, look, here, here's the thing. 
uh, we've talked about this. We talked about this here. And that's an important thing too, is, is documenting. And so being like, hey, we talked about this on this day. Remember on this project and kind of having those things to reference so that when things do get missed the second and third time, that there, there does have to be teeth. And, and then also saying, hey, look, man, I, I can't afford this. Like you, you cut that steel too short. You did that three times before this. Um, like you're costing me in materials. Uh, if this happens again, I mean, we're like, I, I, I can't afford this on my team. And like, you know, we're going to have to part ways if you can't figure out how to get this done. So that's the flip side of it is uh, I think expectations and knowing when, and we can do a whole nother episode on like, you know, so there's hiring and then there's also firing, right? So when do you let somebody go? And I think that's uh, the downfall is to say the flip side of if you don't have, if you're not like John and I, who are like super aggressive of, and high expectations and somebody gives you something as a, as an employee that doesn't meet your expectations and you brush it under the rug and then do the work behind them, that's just as bad. Mm-hmm. Because now you're paying them, um, you're going to start building resentment and you're going to be spill, spending extra time just because you don't want to hurt their feelings. And I've seen that happen as well. You know, people like, oh, well, I'm sure they meant to like, you know, people who are much, <laughs> much better people than we are, John. They'll be like, oh, I'm sure like, yeah, you know, I had hits that's going on at, at home life and, and all those things are great. But if it's happening week in and week out and you're covering for them and not letting them know they're not meeting expectations, you're going to be just in a bad place and you're going to be actually spending more time plus you're paying them. Yeah, you end up paying twice. So, I mean, you need to be able to develop a, uh, an, some sort of expectations for the hiring uh, relationship as well as um, trust. Like you, you, you're going to have to force yourself to trust that individual to get done the things that they are tasked with getting done. Um, and in that, you have to realize that there is going to be a drop off. Now, hopefully that individual you hire is a you know positive thinker and someone that wants to get better. And then they eliminate that drop off to as much as they possibly can um, in in time. Um, but, you know, like from our experience, don't jump the gun on, uh, you know, if someone drops the ball immediately, um, they may not be not they may not not be a fit for you. Um, they may just need some more time to acclimate to, you know, whatever the working situation is. Um, and in that, you know, that's going to come down to you as a manager. Are you setting them up with the best chance to win? Are you, you know, too difficult to deal with? Is your process wrong? You know, are you not taking into consideration that person's expertise and whatever they're, um, you know, uh, formidable in, like there's so much that can go into it. And that's like almost a whole nother, uh, conversation there. But, you know, when it comes to hiring, I, I to, to kind of wrap things up, you just want to make sure you're evaluating um, that opportunity cost on whatever the task is, um, you know, the time value of should I be investing my time into A or B, um, and then look at the tasks that make you unhappy and start offloading those first, um, back end or in the shop. Um, and then when you get to the hiring process, you want to make sure you're evaluating whether that person should be a subcontractor or an employee, two very different things that are both um, have very dramatic uh, differences in the scheme of your uh, business altogether. Um, set expectations to yourself for employee drop-off um, and then mitigate those by developing a process in which you can work through that with your new hire um, and then set expectations for both parties in order to win together. Um, and I think if you can go along those lines as you get into the hiring process, you can definitely set yourself up for a win. Absolutely, man. And it's uh, that that's the biggest thing is that it, it's a learning process. So on both sides, and as you bring on your first people, uh, expect issues. Yes. You know, that, that would probably be my biggest piece of advice for anybody, like expect it to go bad <laughs> or expect it at least not to go good and, and be ready to react to whatever needs to be reacted to, because it, it never goes off like a like a light switch. It's like, okay, it's more like a dimmer switch. You're like, okay, let's, let's get here. Let's start off dim. And then we'll, we'll crank this bad boy up to full brightness, uh, as we go along. Yeah. That's a great point there. And, um, you keep it short. Um, what happens a lot in my experience is that early on, there's going to be excitement on both sides and the person in which you hire is going to be much more accommodating to get things done, stay later, work longer hours, you know, put, give you free, time on their end and want to make your life happy in order to impress you um, in the beginning. And then as things continue to work out, there will be a drop off there as the emotional connection to the job starts to fade away and it becomes more of a job. Um, and so be expecting of that too. 
Um, because like you said, you know, if you come in and you think you're going to have bright lights and hundred percent efforts from the beginning, um, you're going to be disappointed when they don't get there. Just realize that there is going to be a drop off emotionally for both parties at some point too. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome, man. That's a great topic and something that we will definitely be hitting on more in the future. Uh, so we'd also love to hear your feedback, but if you want to head over and check out the show notes, we'll have the link there to to the book there in madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 54. Uh, so you can head over there as well as uh, check out the Patreon site that we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Uh, and yeah, what else, John? And if you want to check out the conversations we're having over on Facebook, you got to jump into our Facebook group. Um, just search for made for profit tribe. We've got a whole group that is all of our listeners because we require it. <laughs> and with that, uh, <laughs> You know, you you get to jump into some very, very good conversations. I love seeing what our listeners are talking about um, on Facebook. They're always giving great insight, helping each other out. Awesome community over there. So make sure you're checking that out as well. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so I, I do most of the approvals on there. And the first question is, who are the hosts of Made for Profit? And like whenever, so there's like a, it's a Facebook thing and you have to answer questions to get approved. Uh, and people would be like, I don't know. I'm like, delete. Because <laughs> we want this to be people who are listening to the show yes. and who, who understand what we're talking about. Uh, so however these people are finding us that they don't know who the hosts are, um, whatever. But yeah, so it, it is a, it's a pretty tight knit group there, which is great. Uh, and lots of, lots of awesome conversations going on. Uh, but Right now, we're going to go have a conversation with our patrons who have their own special little group. So uh, we will go hit that. If, again, if you want to be part of that crowd, go to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. Let's do it, bro. All right. See you guys later.